So now let's go back to 1979. The title was born in Rio de Janeiro. That's in Brazil for some of you that don't know much about uh, geography. And that's when Pat Patterson won the North American and South American heavyweight championships. Those championships were then merged and became known as the Intercontinental Championship. Hence, Pat Patterson was our inaugural champion. Now, Patterson's legacy is largely attributed to the fact that he was the first Intercontinental Champion, and that made him a first ballot WWE Hall of Famer as he was inducted in 1996. Go ahead, pop off, me and my click put on. I'm like a young man, I'm here to get your bitch off. Like I'm Ric Flair, little finger to the big boss. Man, AKA police, cause I'm over your head like hip toss. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to episode 3 of the Middle-Aged Outlaws podcast. My name's Ross, I'm here with Adam as always. Adam, how's it going? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, last episode we had our top 5 Royal Rumble matches, which feels like a wee, a wee while ago now. Yep. That was a good one though, good fun. It was, it was. Um, I need to ask you, given... That's what is it, twenty third today? Yeah. Are you all ready for Christmas? I am. Um yeah, I'm probably more prepared than usual, um, to be honest. But yeah, uh, everything's kinda lined up. There's nothing dramatic, no running about tomorrow or anything like that. Yeah. You? Aye, same. I think um yeah. with the current circumstances we've probably been organised or, or getting organised for a while, so Yeah. But then something will rear its head tomorrow, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, today's today's a good one. Um, today's topic is a, I think one that you and I are both quite passionate about. I think we maybe talked about that in the last episode. Yep. Um Top five intercontinental champions. Yep. And I think uh, I think it's only fitting that before we get into it that we we take just a little. A little minute and, and talk about the first ever intercontinental champion, um, Pat Patterson, who sadly passed away this month. Um, and I, I was gonna, I don't know about you, I, I was listening to the uh, something to wrestle with about that the the Bruce Pritchard and and Conrad did about Pat Patterson, yep. um, and there's just amazing stories about him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he seemed like a obviously a pioneer in so many ways, um, first, you know, openly gay, mainstream wrestler, anyway, um, but also, you know, everything he, he contributed in terms of putting matches together, I think he was considered to be the Finnish man, um, and so many podcasts that I've listened to about wrestling in the past have indicated that it was felt that a big difference between WWF and WWE and WCW was knowing how to do a good finish. And I think so much of that went to Pat Patterson. Um, he, he seemed to be the guy that knew the best way, the logical way, the clever way to finish a, a match and an angle. And then also, you know, the the guy who basically came up with the concept for the the Royal Rumble, which is, you know, of all the gimmick matches, it's, it's kind of the one that stood the test of time. Absolutely. that That's an amazing claim. If, I mean, put aside all the other things you've said, but just that itself is a is an yeah. unbelievable legacy. Um, to have left and like something I was reflecting on is as attitude 
mainly Attitude Era, being teenagers when uh, during Attitude Era, yeah. um, without all these different podcasts um, and kind of behind the scenes things that you get, you know, we we would probably know Pat Patterson as one of those idiots that you know him and him and Briscoe one of the studios. Yeah. Um, it's it's a a credit to people like him and and others that would. The, the curtain's been pulled back a bit, and it's it's really really nice to hear some of the good the good stories like that you're referencing there. Yeah. Um, and a reflection on the man. I was I'm to look at some of the tributes, um, and it's just it just seems to be glowing tributes from anybody and everybody that he's ever yeah. worked with, and uh, particularly the kind of current uh, crew, uh, current group of wrestlers, guys like Sami Zayn. I saw. Um, John Cena, The Rock, like everybody, everybody yep. had something great to say about him, which is is lovely. Yeah. So rest in peace to Pat Patterson. Absolutely. So thinking about today's topic and um, our top five Intercontinental Champions, uh, what springs to mind to you when you think of that beautiful Intercontinental Championship belt? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a there's a few things. The first being the the quality of the match. You know, I think um, your your heavyweight champion didn't always need to be the best, most skilled worker. Um, it for so many years when I started watching, it was Hulk Hogan versus a big guy. You know that 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 tended to be it, and it was more about the story. You know, can he overcome the odds? Whereas I, I feel like even way back, and I think back to like Savage v Steamboat. Um, and then you know a lot of the matches will go into from from there on the, the, the actual just wrestling match quality um, and I think you know historically this was the belt that uh, would, would headline a lot of house shows and things like that because the, the world champ would only be on occasionally you know he, he was a, a special attraction really whereas this was more the workers belt and the guy that was going out every night having the you know competitive probably quite long on a lot of occasions match so I think that that's one thing is, you know, the actual just match quality or the quality of the, the worker that, that held that belt. The second one that, that always sprang to my mind, and again, it's probably to do with the era I grew up, was it, it almost came across as the the stepping stone yeah. for so many before they went on to potentially break in and, and have the world title run. And it, you know, it kind of gets mixed up. The, the, the more recent you get where it, it maybe doesn't always felt follow that path you get people who've been world champ then intercontinental champ mm. but you know back in those days I think it was a natural bridge and you know could the guy thrive at this level before we consider moving him up to the next level yeah no that's how I that's how I think I see it as well it's kind of like I think we've talked before about a glass ceiling um, and, and can they make that jump from the kind of middle tier to the upper tier yeah um I think someone who's intercontinental champion doesn't necessarily need to have amazing mic skills. They don't need to be the most charismatic. Um, but something that I think they do have to be is amazing in the ring. Yeah. Um, and some of the guys, I think, no, I was going to say all the guys on my list here have made that jump from middle to, to upper tier, but they've not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, it's a reflection on it's a reflection on the eras, I think, and we'll get into that, obviously, but um, yeah. my favourite belt and my favourite tier of tier of wrestler, 
definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, there was always something special about it, something a bit different about it. Mm. So I've got a little bit, a little bit of background, a little bit of information about the IC belt before we get going, before we get into these picks. Um, so to date, there have been eighty-six different intercontinental champions, um, and the current holder being Sami Zayn. Although if you've read any sort of Christmas-related Smackdown spoilers, that may change on Christmas Day. Okay. <laughs> um, Pedro Morales, Morales held it for a record total of six, a 619 days. Wow. That's quite, that's quite an incredible reign. Yeah. Um, but the man with the, the longest uninterrupted reign is the Honky Tonk Man. Um, and that was a, an uninterrupted reign of 454 days. Impressive. That is impressive. I wonder how many times he wrestled during that uh, 454 days. Um, the shortest reign belongs to who do you think? Do you, have, do you have anyone in mind? I'm trying to think when I was doing my, my research whether there was any that popped out as having a particularly short reign, but I can't remember if I saw any or, or noticed any. This one, I didn't know this, but this did come up when I was doing my. Um, relating to one of my picks, but it belonged to Dean Douglas, um, okay. who held it for 13 minutes in fairly controversial circumstances. He was awarded it in the first place, but um, yeah. we'll get into that, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, only one woman has held it to date. Yeah. Ninth, ninth wonder of the world, of course, China. Um, youngest champion to date, Jeff Hardy, at 23. And the oldest is the nature boy himself. Ric Flair uh, at 56 I wonder when that was well oh it must be a few years ago now <laughs> be a good what 14 15 years ago yeah probably at least yeah so yeah it's a it's a illustrious certainly an illustrious title yep to say the least um so are we ready to go I'm ready cool Okie dokie, so, top five Intercontinental Champions, do you want to start us off and hit, hit me with your number five? Absolutely, so this, um, uh, as I mentioned to you a few times, this took quite a bit of whittling down, um, obviously the number of champions you mentioned before, and quite a lot that I, I thought were, were worthy of being included, and then uh, I think originally I, I noted some like 16, then got it down to 12, then I, I think 8 from there. Um, so yeah, my number five is Edge. Um, so he's, uh, he's he's had five championship reigns. Um, the first being uh, when he won the title, twenty fourth of July, nineteen ninety nine, um, and he he beat Jeff Hardy to win the belt just in a house show in uh, Montreal. So wow. obviously, um, it was a you know probably special for him being mm. uh, close close to where he, where he was born and raised. Um, but it was a little bit of a throwaway, to be honest. So when I was looking into this, I thought, yeah, he won it then, but that wasn't really the start of his run. Did, did he drop it, it after winning it at the house yeah, show? Yeah, he, he, uh, he, he lost it really soon after. Um, it was basically a throwaway. Um, and I didn't, when I was looking at it, I thought, I'm not really counting it as a rain, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's won it and then dropped it pretty much immediately. Um, and then I felt like the, the actual, you know, he then went on to, to focus on his, his tag team again with, with Christian, which wasn't done by that point. Um, but so, so what I've kind of noted as the, the first proper run 
um, was actually started on the, the 19th of August 2001 at SummerSlam where he beat Lance Storm. Nice. Um, now, did you watch that match? I did. That, that would be a good match, was it? I've, I've, yeah, it was. And I've always been a big fan of Lance Storm. You know, he's he's not um, the best talker, but he's kind of, you know, funny in a self-deprecating way mm, with absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the whole, can I, if, if, I can, if I can be serious for a moment, you yeah, know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, so, again, we, we talked at the start about match quality. And, um, you know, that a lot of this ties in with the quality of worker you've got to go up against. Um, but what I, I found when I was, you know, watching some matches and looking into this is he's beat Lance Storm. And then you've got the, the jealous Christian character who's... Yes. Um, uh, making, we, is this the greatest wrestler of all time, Christian? It is Captain Charisma. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure all, all of his peeps were, were loving the rivalry <laughs> that he had with storyline brother um, Edge. <laughs> And it, it, it then, you know, he, he gets into basically a trade in the belt back and forth with Christian, which, given the fact that they team together, they obviously know each other so well, that the quality of some of these matches is excellent too. Um, and there's a, there's a ladder match that I would particularly point out from No Mercy 2001, um, which is an excellent match between the two. Um, I think, you know, this, we, again, another thing we referenced at the start, we talked about it being the, almost the prove it belt, you know, go out mm-hmm. have your matches, but we want to, you know, obviously you're going to get a bit more interview time, you're going to get a bit more mic work just through being in the role. Um, and he, he thrived. I mean, Edge became a headliner so soon after his kind of intercontinental run. And he, he, to be honest, he squeezed five reigns into quite a short period of time. Yeah, okay. Um he he actually um there's a there's a Survivor series match in uh, November two thousand and one where uh, Edge beats the then Intercontinental Champion Test um to unify the Intercontinental and US titles. Nice. Um which is I you know, Test quite limited in terms of his Excuse his me. <laughs> Is uh, he going to be on your list? <laughs> excuse me, as a as a card carrying member of the Testicles fan club, I am I am insulted at that. Um, but it's you know for what it is and the sort of you know the glory of becoming this dual champion um, is is it, it feels quite important when you're watching it, mm. um, which is you know always the kind of thing I would look for, and. Again, you know, when we go to this kind of era, which is, you know, the sort of tail end of, of attitude, um, they're still in a scenario where, you know, belts are dropped and picked up quite frequently. Um, some of the, the people I'll talk about a little bit later on, it wasn't really the, the sort of yo-yo um, title runs, but it it certainly felt like the springboard for Edge. Mm-hmm. Um and you know everything he went on to achieve thereafter. I mean, he's he's actually well, I found this out when I was looking up on it. He's actually technically the most decorated WWE star of all time. Wow. He's he has more overall belts um, than it, than anyone's ever had. That's amazing. Um, and you know, I suppose when you take into account his run in tag teams with with Christian, mm. um, I think he also won tag gold with Rey Mysterio at some point as well. Yeah, and Hogan. And then, Yes, yeah, that's right. Um, but he's also, you know, had multiple world title runs, both versions of the belt, um, and it it felt like that whole run 
was the what I think he also went into a feud with Booker T just after it, and you know that they, they just fed off each other really well, mm. and I, th- I just get the feeling around that time the, the the sort of last period of his run with Intercontinental belts is probably the point where Vince McMahon was looking thinking, wait a minute, you know this uh, this guy's ceiling is a little bit higher than we thought originally. Mm. Um, because I, I I would suspect they maybe thought yeah you know he he'll be the star of the team when it ends and he'll be a good you know steady intercontinental level guy but ended up winning so many world titles mm-hmm. so yeah he's uh, he's my number five edge um, thoroughly enjoyed watching back some of his matches it's I don't know if it's a little bit of a a loss it's sort of that gap between attitude finishing and ruthless aggression just sort of kicking off mm-hmm. um, and you get the changing of a lot of the workers and you get a lot of sort of more technical workers coming in which is great for someone like Edge to, to work with and feed off so so yeah uh, Edge is my number five great pick I like that um, was that uh, just thinking about when he picked up the belt and then when he was feeding with Chris that roundabout he won one king of the ring at the same time it was yeah shortly after because the yeah it, it all rolled into Christian's um, heel turn all that yeah and just the the jealousy angle yeah. and the you know then leading to childish tantrums and things like that and a lot of the tail end of that was around the time that they they were having the invasion angle as well that's uh, right. Which, which you know it did distract from it a little bit you know Aye. belts almost felt a little bit watered down because there were so many of them which is why I thought it was good that he, he had I suppose you could look at the US belt as being the WCW version of it yep. um, and then they, they, they combined the two when they felt I think that clearly there were just too many titles going around um, and, and Edge was the guy who was seen to be you know the person who should be the top of that kind of tier mm. poor test that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> cool. Okay. Good pick. I like that. I'm really glad that you picked Edge because it's not somebody that, I, that I've got my list. He's an honourable mention for me. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Nice one. So, so, so my number five um, is a guy that you might have heard of, Shawn Michaels, the Heartbreak uh, Kid. Okay. So I have him as my number three. Okay. Cool. So, um, okay, cool. So I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you why. Um, this was difficult. Do you know what? I was maybe going to leave Michaels off my list. Um, absolutely nothing to do with his in-ring quality. Everything to do with the type of person that he appeared to be. <laughs> yeah. Round about the, the period that um, that, he, that he held the belt. Um they initially went won the belt on a Saturday night main event, beating yep. the the British Bulldog. Um and this must have been not that long after the uh, the the barber shop incident. Um he, I think he pushed on from the Rockers for a while. He, they stuck the IC belt on him, um and he traded it back and forward with Marty Jannetty. Um but there, there's only, I mean, realistically, when you're thinking about Shawn Michaels and thinking about the Intercontinental Championship, there's only really, if you're thinking of one match, there's one match that kind of defines is is three reigns, and that's that's a WrestleMania 10 ladder match. Yep. Um, he he ended up relinquishing 
the title. He relinquished his title twice. Yeah. So much of a dick he was. <laughs> yeah, he did it, did it with a world title as well. <laughs> he didn't lose his smile this time. He just got his ass kicked by people that he wound up in a bar. Um, yeah. That's the second time he relinquished it. First time, I, I don't, I don't know why he gave it up the first time, but um, the first time it led to Razor uh, winning the vacant belt, yeah. uh, and then Sean returning and saying, "What are you doing? I'm the, I'm the champion. I'm the Intercontinental Champion." So they had that absolute, just groundbreaking ladder match at WrestleMania 10, um, yeah. which I think we've spoke about in the podcast before, but um, always happy to go back and watch that. That's for yeah, sure. I think I think I um I didn't know that there was another ladder match until you mentioned it to me. Mm. Um, and then I went and watched that. I think it had just slipped my mind, but I can tell you why he vacated it. Oh, okay. um, he he failed a, a drugs test for steroids. Oh that's right, I remember I. And he has always claimed that he didn't take any. Now he said that he, you know, was taking various things at that time. And it does make you think, why would he lie about that? Because, you know, he's, he's come back as this totally different character from everything you see and, and hear. And that is the one thing he still says he did not do. So he doesn't know why he failed it. Um, but obviously it's a, it, it created an interesting story because he was able to come back and say, I never lost that belt. You know, mm-hmm. I am rightfully still the champion, mm-hmm. um, and you know, create the whole angle with uh, with Razor, which was brilliant. Brilliantly right. done. I remember, um, I remember listening to something to wrestle with, and Conrad was des- He was determined he was going to find out how much he would have been fined um, for failing that drugs test, but uh, Pritchard <laughs> wasn't he for wasn't he for giving it up. He doesn't like speaking numbers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Michaels and. Razor had an an amazing, uh, sometimes forgotten, rematch of that ladder match at SummerSlam '95 um, for the IC belt again, and I think that's arguably a better match um, than the WrestleMania 10 match. I think it's just, I think it just gets it's not forgotten, but WrestleMania 10, it's it's the WrestleMania Madison Square Garden, um, it's just remembered. Yeah, I think it because it's first as well, you know, um, not not the actual first ladder match, but the first, I think, pay-per-view ladder match. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think you more naturally remember the first because you're, you know, your eyes are open to it and it's got that wow element because you've never seen anything like it before. Yeah. Yeah, and like like you said, I'll I'll, I'll come on to that first ladder match. I've got I've got. Um, oh, spoiler! But um, the the <laughs> other participant in that uh, match, I've got on my list later on. So um, oh. we could come on to that. Is there anything else that you've got down there that you want to talk about, Michaels? I think that the only thing I wanted to mention, um, when you look at the sort of timeline of everything, he was, um, you know, Intercontinental Champ in you know late '95. And then we talk about, you know, springboard and things like that. It's the wrestle. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, lost you for a second there, Adam, but thankfully you're back. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I was just talking about the fact that um, when, when Michaels went from, you know, the intercontinental level to the world level, something had changed in Vince McMahon's mind about him. 
and uh, the fact that he's actually one of the people, and we'll probably talk about more, where there's the logical path where you're in the tag team and then you're the breakout from it and then you go through an intercontinental run and you end up in the world title picture. And he is one of uh, the, the performers that has had that very logical path mm-hmm. um, and was obviously... You know, I think things like his performance in the ladder matches and things like that would have, you know, really um, impressed the likes of, you know, Vince McMahon, who would have then looked at and maybe said, this this guy, regardless of size, regardless of, you know, issues, can be the top guy and is going to be the top guy. It's really interesting because all, all, and it's a it's a cliche at this point, but like everybody says, anything you listen to, Vince likes big guys, yeah. big, big meaty, giant muscle-bound guys. But Michaels is obviously never that, yeah. um, and then it's such a massive credit to him that in that era, he's become one of the one of, if not the biggest star. Yeah. Okay, so Edge, Shawn Michaels, number five, uh, and number five, and uh, Michaels number three for you. Yeah. Okay, so our number five's in the bank. Who's your number four? Yeah, my number four, this one, uh, it's a funny one because I'm going to explain why, (laughs) um, which is, I think, childhood and um, having this idea of what an intercontinental performer should be. But it's one of those where when I actually started doing the research, everything felt like it was a far longer, bigger timeline and there were way more matches than there actually are when I looked at it. Are you reading uh, my notes? <laughs> <laughs> so my, my number four is Mr. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is not one of these guys that, you know, moved up to world title level. I think he, you know, he had a few um, matches uh, challenging for world title, but he was obviously never the guy. They never put the belt on him. What he was was an incredibly accomplished worker. Um, so he, he actually only had two title reigns uh, at Intercontinental level. Um, his first was when he, he won the belt in a tournament after the Ultimate Warrior vacated it following his World Heavyweight title win over Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania six. Um, he beat uh, Jimmy Snuka and Tito Santana to win that tournament. And he, he has this awesome cocky you know before there was such a thing as cool heels mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of watching interviews and vignettes and everything that's on the the old style programming and you know he's he's throwing a basketball in from you know halfway you know on the court he, he, he's even though you you know when you're looking at it you know so much of this is fabricated and designed to make him look great you're still looking at it thinking this guy's cool this guy's totally. got something this guy can throw a towel behind his back and catch it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's... I, I used to... Even though he was in the heel, I, I just loved watching him. There was some in, in in his performances. He was one of the best sellers I've ever seen. He put guys over brilliantly. Yeah. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, but, it, yeah, it, they teamed him up with Bobby Heenan, which just always feels like it, it adds that level you know it kind of elevates a guy when he's got Heenan but he probably didn't need Heenan you know because he could talk brilliantly um, he could work brilliantly so um, 
yeah, he, he loses the, the belt in uh, August 1990 at SummerSlam. He loses the belt to Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich, who I think from what I remember was like a stand-in. It was never supposed to be him that was in the match. I think it was maybe Bruce Beefcake that was supposed to be in the match. Right. Um, and they had to change it for, for whatever reason. So the, the Texas Tornado gets the shot. Um, uh, that, so, sorry, that match, um, I was really looking forward. I, I was loading that up. Um, I should say Mr. Perfect's my number three on okay. my list. So um, I watched that match and I was really looking forward to watching that match. And then you'd opened the packet of crisps and it was finished. Yeah. and <laughs> It was almost you know, a squash. The, the, the only sort of saving grace is obviously you're wanting to make Tornado look good, look strong and you know the sell job by Perfect mm -hmm. is, is really good but also you didn't come out of it thinking he couldn't beat him in a rematch, you came out of it thinking that all happened in such a whirlwind and that was probably the idea um, that you know he's, he's been taken by surprise um, and it, you know, it didn't really take the gloss off him an awful lot, even though he, he loses. Mm -hmm. But also, he, he makes Tornado look really strong. Um, so yeah, that's um, that's how he lost the belt. Um, and I've got so December fifteenth, and it's just a, a episode of Superstars. He, he regains the belt from Texas Tornado, um, and then the. This, this is sort of what I was touching on previously when I was talking about in my mind it's so much more and there's so many matches and things like that but there weren't really um, so I've got a, you know, a couple of notable things where he's, uh, he's got a Wrestlemania 7 match with the Big Boss Man um, Big Boss Man another you know I think he's like a a really good worker that maybe goes a little bit unnoticed because mm. for a big man he was really athletic and you know could could jump around could bounce around and things like that but again that the, there's a there's a really good selling job that perfect does to, to make boss man look good ridiculous he, he, yeah he, he's taking all these bumps and no uh, wonder the the poor guy had to retire early um i've got, I've got written down here um this match against boss man just I've, I've actually written down selling machine he's just mm -hmm. putting them over like nobody's business yeah, yeah, um, it's, it, it does a great job. Um, I feel like this match is just like uh, it's really hard to to describe. It's like if I was to journey back into time and think of a wrestling match, and this is so random. Like this would be a match that I was watching when I was a kid because I don't know what yeah. it was. Is the big boss man's look um, and Mister Perfect? I don't know. But this WrestleMania Seven match just seemed to transform me all the way back to being a little yeah. boy. It was nice. really, really, just like really good fun to watch. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, they they didn't want the belt on Boss Man um, because he 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 retains uh, perfect. Although by uh, is it by disqual count out disqualification? Disqualification. Yeah. Um, There's about so six different people running about. I think yeah, the Heenan family right. get involved, yeah. don't they? Um, and then you know. The, the sort of the one that always stands out to me, the the iconic one, is where he goes on to to lose the belt, and that's SummerSlam '91, mm -hmm. um, loses the belt to Bret Hart. So Bret Hart, um, who I uh, you've already given your spoiler, you know I'm gonna uh, be able to go into a little bit more detail later on as well. Mm. Um, but I felt like that was the you know two brilliant workers. And if you ever hear any comments by Bret Hart talking about Perfect, 
80, I think he's one of the favourite people he's ever worked with because he made everything look great. Really? But he, he wouldn't hurt anyone. You know, he, he, everything was so safe um, that Perfect was doing to him, but looked good and looked real, um, which is, you know, the, the epitome of, of a good worker in the ring is that you can make it look real, but it's, you know, not going to hurt a fly. Um, I'm, so I'm glad he, you said in the ring because the, yeah. ru- the, the rumour is on an aeroplane is pretty... pretty yeah. uh, yeah. Pretty deadly. <laughs> so Brock Lesnar so, says anyway. <laughs> so um, I, I mean, all I would say, if if anyone listening hasn't seen this match at SummerSlam '91, it's you know a, a technical masterclass Absolutely. between the two of them. Um, puts Brett over really strong. He he um, he taps to the sharpshooter, and you know that's Brett kind of anointed as as the man um, at that level. And it, it just felt so selfless, like perfect is looking at this as my job is to make you the guy. To get him over. And when I was doing a little bit more reading into this, and I wasn't really aware of the timeline beforehand, Perfect's back at this point is wrecked. He, right. he I think, is aware that he's not got much left career-wise, um, but he still takes every bump. You know, he's doing everything to put right over, which I think shows the, the sort of standard and level of work he is and also I think the respect he had for his opponent, which is a big thing. It's it's important. Um so yeah that that was really the end of his run, but I think he, he put Brett over to such an extent that Brett was, you know, well on his way to, you know, s- singles stardom. But a lot of it because of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it really is just an amazing technical match. Um and if you're, if you prefer that type of wrestling, uh, storytelling, um, guys taking their time working to get it's just amazing. It's so yeah. good. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd uh, just mentioning his back there as well. I'd, I think I'd read about his back before I watched that match, and it, it gives you a totally different perspective. Yeah. Um, watching the match, just some of those bumps he's taken. Um, then the extent of the back injuries that he's got is, is just really, really admirable. Yeah. Um, like something about Mr. Perfect for me is that, uh, that, that that's the first line of my notes there. This is a nostalgia pick for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I think when I when I think of the Intercontinental Championship, I think of two guys, uh, Mr. Perfect being one of them. Yeah. Um, and the others on my list. So. Um, cool. So that was your number four? That, right? that was my number four, yes. Okay, cool. So, a neat transition into my number four. Uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. Excellent. So, he is my number two. Okay. Cool. We're ticking off the boxes. This could be a 15, <laughs> 15 minute. Um, so, Brett had a had a short in comparison to the rest of the guys that we've talked about a relatively short combined reign 290 days across two reigns um, and one one of the the very first matches that I, that I watched was uh, th- this is commitment to your to your podcast sitting watching a Bret Hart versus Skinner match <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like uh, I'm sure you've heard the same thing before I've, I've heard the thing where People say Brett could have a match with a broomstick, yeah, and uh, put the broomstick over. So, um, yeah. never going to complain about watching a Bret Hart match. 
Yeah, I think I think one thing that I've mentioned in my notes similar. It's not the longest rain, but I'm pretty sure he would have been out there every night. Um, you know, taking on different opponents and things like that. Because I think that, you know, um, he's one of those guys that probably didn't get a lot of days off or didn't ask for a lot of days off. Um, so yeah, short rain, but probably a hell of a lot of defences. I would have thought. Yeah, I I know what you mean. Like I I could imagine him seeing you know what we were talking about being this being the workers belt and yeah. um, being like a high accolade I can imagine he, he obviously takes himself really seriously and he took his character mm. really seriously and all that I'm sure he would have saw it as um, a really high accolade to hold that belt and yeah. um, so, so th- thinking about some of the matches um, and something that you'd referenced earlier he had that first ever ladder match in WWF uh, with Shawn Michaels in 1992, um, which was it's, it's amazing to go back and watch something like that because um, you know, like you'd think you would be a bit desensitised from all the guff that um, goes on these days. Of some some of the uh, some of the ridiculous spots where guys going through tables and um, all sorts of the guys getting set on fire, obviously, uh, but. Yeah. but but I think that people like Michaels and Razor Ramon and Bret Hart, they're such, they're so good at their craft. They're such good storytellers that these matches yeah. still hold up. That um, that ladder match really, really holds up. It's really worth watching. Yeah. yeah um, and, and the probably the the biggest match of his reign, um, was at SummerSlam '92, which. Was one of yes. the one of the times when the Intercontinental Championship headlined the pay per view um, against his brother-in-law David Boy Smith at Wembley, which is another bit of a no- nostalgia trip. Um, just a great match. Yeah, yeah I'd say, um, I the same. I'll admit I didn't rewatch the the Skinner match. <laughs> oh come on! But I did rewatch this one, and um, you know you're you're talking about a full Wembley stadium, and you know. It, it has a you know big match, big event feel to it, and uh, you know if if everyone is there to see Bulldog win it, popular as Brett was in Europe, um, the, the everyone's there. I think probably knowing that Bulldog's going to win it beforehand, um, but having heard the stories about the shape that Bulldog apparently was in at the time, um, some substance issues and things like that. Um, from from what I hear, Brett had to kind of you know work the match, like drag him through it. Yeah, um, and when you watch it, yeah, you know, there's probably the odd moment where you think it maybe doesn't look like Bulldog knows what he's supposed to be doing. But apart from that, you you wouldn't really notice, mm-hmm. which I think is a great credit to to the work done by by Brett in mm-hmm. that match. He's just a just an amazing wrestler. I've yeah. uh, got a lot of time for Bret Hart and uh, it, it kind of saddens me that I see people um, kind of taking the mickey out the way that he approach, you know like looking back in retrospect people kind of laughing about the way that he approaches himself and approaches his character and all that Yeah. Um, and I actually saw randomly saw a promo um, from a Monday Night Raw where Shawn Michaels was essentially uh, shooting on him and saying 
like you take this far too seriously uh, you worry too much about what the what the fans think here and all this sort of stuff mm-hmm. um and he's just i don't know i feel i feel bad for him <laughs> yeah i think the you know obviously everything that that happened later in his career and yeah he, he i think he always took himself pretty seriously took the work in the ring very seriously um and you know i suppose he was probably, you know, with the family history, he was of a different era. And I think, you know, by the time you get anywhere near Attitude or even the early uh, remnants of it, maybe in a lot of people's eyes, his era was done. Mm-hmm. You know, he he needed to either move on or, you know, get out of the way. Yeah. Um, which is a shame because actually some of the work he did in the early stages of the Attitude era was amazing, you know. Um, the, the sort of heel in Canada, uh, so heel in US, babyface, most of the rest of the world work was, was brilliant. But um, yeah, I think uh, what, one of the things that really stood out when I was reading up on, on Brett, um, so he, he lost the belt August 92. And I sort of touched on this same kind of thing with, with uh, John Michaels earlier. Um, Brett beat Ric Flair at the sort of, you know, uh, famous for not being a famous match, house show world title win, um, when they, I think they, they knew Ric Flair wanted to move on, wanted to go back. Um, that was October 92, so you're talking like two months down the line from him losing the Intercontinental belt. Um, and I think matches like he'd had uh, with uh, Davy Boy Smith, uh, British Bulldog, I think that, you know, when you're looking around thinking we're, we're losing Flair, you know, Hogan's off doing a lot of other stuff. Who's our world champ going to be? I think by then, Bret Hart had made it, you know, he, he'd put himself in the spotlight and said it can't really be anyone else. Mm-hmm. And that's just through the quality of his of his work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Excellent. So, that is our number, that was my number four. That was, um, that's very confusing. <laughs> that was my number two. That was your number two. So we've, we've yeah. done both our number threes. Yeah. So and I you've just done your number two. Yeah, so I, I'm, to be honest, I only have one guy left that hasn't been talked about. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, do you? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, doke. So, will I jump into my number two? Go for it. Okay, so my number two is, you know, I, I said earlier that um, when I think back in my mind and I think about the Intercontinental title belt, I see yeah. two guys... Um, the first being Mr. Perfect, and the other is my number two pick, that's Razor Ramon. Nice. Um, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, he had four reigns as Intercontinental Champion for a combined 437 days. Um, I do feel like like he's that kind of prototypical Intercontinental Champion, like the best of the rest, um, especially in that era where it was really difficult to to get to the next level. Yeah. Um, I think uh, something that, you know, like looking back on some of the matches that he had around the belt, um, there's not a match that's that's not, like, a re- this is, I suppose this is similar to Bret Hart, but there's not a match that's, that's not really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he'd been putting on consistently great matches, 15 to 20 minute Technical matches, um, and also 
a lot of a lot of the matches are uh, kind of dropping and picking up the belt between the click yeah. as well. And obviously, to me, as a young kid at that that age, I don't pick up on that. But it's just interesting to go back and watch it. And um, he's dropping it to Sean. He's picking it up from Diesel. He's got um, a feud going on with the one, two, three kid at the time. Um, just a bunch of mates playing with each other, basically. It must, you know, like for all that they um, they get called for, they must have been having a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, when you say it, I think I said to you beforehand, I knew that you would say someday who I would regret not having in my uh, five. And he, I don't know if I, did I message you saying that I had six? Mm-hmm. that a couple of days ago mm-hmm. and I, I basically did the write up for six because I hadn't decided who I was going to leave off and he was my six um, and I, I, I think it was last night I just decided yeah he's the one I'm going to remove but one thing I totally agree with is when, when I think back to you know that belt and the people who carried it he is one of the first names that springs to mind yeah yeah Yeah, like I say, like technic- te- I was really actually genuinely surprised at how good his matches were when I went back at it and I was delighted that it wasn't just a nostalgia trip. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when like I, I wasn't the world's biggest WCW viewer. Um, I think I probably missed a lot of the outsider stuff and all that. Um, so my kind of recent memory of Scott Hall is pretty much his terrible match with Stone Cold at was that like WrestleMania 18 or something like that? Um, yeah, it must have been around then, yeah. I don't have good memories of of like Scott Hall, NWO Scott Hall, rather than the Razor Ramon, but to, to me as a kid, the character Razor Ramon was just amazing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I say, he's put on some great matches there. Um, he actually put on a really good match with Goldust at the 1996 Rumble. Mm-hmm. Um but there was just the most ridiculous behaviour <laughs> um, from Goldust. I, I was I was thinking like this is nineteen ninety six, so like I don't know. He was just doing a lot of touching them in places that are strange, yeah. for, strange for a, a man to have touched uh, each other on, on live TV at that point. I did. I did hear. Um, I, th- I assume it was after this, but there was definitely a point where uh, Razor asked not to be in that feud anymore. Is that right? Um, and I think he just felt really uncomfortable, you know, which y- you can understand if, 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 I mean, at the end of the day, you're you're a performer and if that's maybe throwing you off your game or mm. if you can't, you know, focus on getting the, the, the match, through the match the way you would want to, um, maybe you just have to hold your hand up and say, I, I, I just don't want to do this. Um, do you know, so, yeah. I, I was think like I think at this point Vince was still in commentary in nineteen ninety six, and he's like putting gold dust over and all that. I, like, I was thinking, what is his gimmick supposed to be? Yeah. Apart from it having some sort of kind of vague <laughs> link to him being some sort of producer or director or something like that. Like, yeah. What is is he supposed to look like an Oscar? I I, I think so. And then I think they always come back to the word androgynous. Um, and I don't know if maybe he was just 
seeing what boundaries they could push, mm. you know, and seeing how far they could take certain things. Um, one thing I always wondered about Scott Hall, and I'm keen to get your thoughts on this. For me, he had everything that you need to, to be world champion, but he, he, he never was. You know, I don't think he ever was in either company, actually. Um, but he had size, he had charisma, he could put on a match, very high-quality matches. Um, he could talk, you know, he, he kind of had everything. I just wonder if it was maybe the, the substance issues, that if that was the bottom line and why he never managed to get to the next level. Yeah, I don't know. Um, something that's crossed my mind as well. And um, When they very first introduced him, I know that he went almost straight in to, uh, uh, to he, he was involved with Macho Man and Jake Roberts. Yeah. Um, I think he got involved in a in a title match or something like that. So they obviously had high hopes for him. Mm-hmm. Um, him being six foot seven, probably just thought, "Wow, get him right in there." <laughs> yeah. But um, nah, I know I, I kind of thought that myself. Uh, it's a shame because I think he deserved to be yeah. given that opportunity but maybe he was given that opportunity and threw it away who knows possibly I, I mean I don't think his his issues were quite as um, obvious and bad when he was in WWF as they became later on mm-hmm. um, I think don't get me wrong I think there were always some problems there but I think uh, things maybe got out of hand when there wasn't that sort of tight control anymore yeah um, what WCW <laughs> Because I've just got to imagine that if you turned up in no fit condition in WWE, you're not going on, you know. You're, uh, whereas I think in WCW, uh, I'm not saying he wrestled matches, but I think he maybe was on screen when uh, shouldn't have been put mm. that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something, something that was um, really odd, but classic WWF, I suppose. Um, at SummerSlam 94, he fought Diesel for the... I see belt. Um and in Diesel's corner was Shawn Michaels. I think they were tag team champions at this point. Um in Razor Ramon's corner was Walter Payton. <laughs> wow. The um the running back uh, for I think I wanna say the Steelers. I d I don't I don't know when who I'm Walter. I'm not too sure. I mean I know that the, there's the award named after him, but I'm not too sure, you know, the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Mm, uh, that's award, right. But yeah, I'm not too sure about who he, who he played for. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty random. Something that was re- really interesting about it, um, going back to Bruce Pritchard's podcast, he was saying that um, backstage, Sean and Razor and Diesel were uh, stood around planning the match out, and uh, Peyton was there as well, and they were they were talking about this spot followed by this spot, blah blah blah, and and Peyton had said to them. That doesn't make sense. You've mm. said you're going to do that, then you, you've gone, then you're going to do that, and they said they didn't know, you know, like they didn't know what he was talking about. Um, and when they went back and they, they'd realised they'd made a mistake, and he was, he was taking it all in, which is a, uh, just a, a pretty cool little anecdote. He's, he's obviously yeah. used to getting his head around playbooks and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's pretty interesting. Maybe, uh, maybe the writers' room needs to. Uh branch out into some actual sport and uh, you would get levy on bell in the in the writers <laughs> room or something like that. maybe just pick out where where things maybe aren't logical you know? mm. uh, that could take a while uh. <laughs> <laughs> excellent cool um shall we run down some 
some honourable mentions before we reveal our our top picks Absolutely. to each other. Yep. Cool. Um, yeah, I had well, obviously Razor. Um, he he was very much in my mind when I was doing it, and I didn't know that I wasn't including him till last night. So I'm glad you did because it means that you know he's he's on the list. Um, I did have Chris Benoit listed um, as a, an honourable mention. Um, and, you know, I, I'm probably going to reference him when we're talking Jericho. So, um, Is that a spoiler? <laughs> apologies for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I did mention, again, this is maybe a, a nostalgia one that I, I had... Uh, <laughs> I had Honky Tonk Man listed because, you know, the 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 long reign. Um although when I started looking I couldn't find all that many impressive <laughs> matches. But uh, I was gonna ask you to name someone that he fought, but you could probably pull one out of your arse. I mean, I know Warrior beat him in like three seconds to win it off him, so <laughs> I probably would have to name that one. Um I, this is this maybe would have been a single match pick, which I didn't think would have been right. But uh, Randy Savage, and you know he he went through being the IC champ before moving on to the next level. But mm-hmm. his match with uh, Ricky Steamboat um, is one that's always in my mind. Yeah, um, I thought you so, might I thought you might have dropped him in there. I know you're a big Savage mark. I wasn't I sure. Think I I am, but I think one of the things I was trying to do, and it, it's it's not foolproof on the list, but I was trying to think of guys that when I think of their name. I associate them more with the Intercontinental Belt than the World Belt, uh-huh. and I probably associate Savage more as World Champion than I do as Intercontinental no, Champion. That's, that's totally fair. Yeah. So yeah, there's just a few guys. I, I, I had a when I had the list of about sixteen uh, originally. <laughs> um, there were some that were a little bit easier to take off when I, when I properly thought about it, um, and. You know, I, I just thought, well, what did they really do or what did they really achieve from it? Where did it take them anywhere? Or mm. was it just a... I think you do see a lot of guys that that's just their level, you know, and they've they've maybe held it a few times, but nothing really came of it. Um, so, yeah, there's just a few names from me. Cool. I've got a few here. So, Benoit, like you said, um, Benoit four reigns, and I'm sure we'll talk about him. Yeah. Um, the Miz, uh, probably not yeah. an unpopular pick um, but just from little bits and pieces of, I'm not a huge Miz fan or anything like that but just from little bits and pieces that I've seen about him um, the way that he talks about the belt mm-hmm. it kind of reflects the feeling that I think that you and I have about it and that maybe guys from previous years have had about it yeah. um, Kurt Angle only had the one reign yeah. but I think I actually was surprised at that and I expected him to have had more reigns than, yes. than just the one, but I think he probably challenged for it a lot yeah. um, and was in and about um, probably matches that we're going to talk about. Um, the Rock, Triple H, Stone Cold, Christian, uh, Jeff Hardy, Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, I think he. You, you've named two guys that See, when I just looked on the history, you know, of, of the belt to, to get a, an idea in my mind of the, some of the guys we'd be looking at, I think um, Dolph Ziegler and The Miz, you know, they both had their name next to it quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Looked at it. So, um, the Miz had eight reigns. Yeah, which is impressive. And they're, they're actually both... I, I quite like Ziegler. And the, the, there was someone... I think it was somebody from work that I was kind of having this debate about, about, 
you know, everything he's asked to do, everything he does, he actually does really well. It, it, it's just where they've decided to position him, mm -hmm. I think. Um, you know, he's had world title runs. He probably, it's hard to imagine him anytime soon having another, but you never know. Because I think he's become quite a steady hand. I think he's a guy that they, they're always going to have a role for. Like a, like a, what, what X-Pac was a little bit. Kinda, yeah. Um, you know, a, a sort of trusted worker, and I know he was, I think, even by the, the locker room, you know, not respected when he first came in, but from what I hear, I think he, he earned it. You know, he earned the respect as he went along, which is admirable. You know, he was a, what, a reality TV star um, and came in and made his mark. Mm. Um, one last name what mentioned before we get to our number one pick um, is Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. Um, and this is really, really hypocritical, okay? Um, considering who I've got as my number one pick, but <laughs> um, just the stuff with China just turns me off with Guerrero. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I think. I mean, if we if we ever get to a stage of you know talking about just ring talent or anything like that, and I, th I think Guerrero was a guy who I wasn't fully aware of when he came in. WWF, yeah, I, I did watch a bit of WCW, not not as much WWF as WWF, but his actual, you know, in ring performance when performances when you look through it and look through the catalogue and just his story, I think, as a person, mm -hmm. that's all really admirable. He wasn't one of the ones that just jumped into my mind straight away, and I, when I was doing the research, I, I saw his name and I thought maybe he is, you know, the archetypal champion, uh, IC champion, because. He's a great worker, and he ended up becoming world champion and all that. But yeah, he he missed out. I mean, I should have mentioned him because he was one I had on my original list um, as a you know a, a candidate to be on the final list. But yeah, he, he obviously ridiculously talented. Mm -hmm. And that probably not you know you're talking about archetypal IC champion. He's not the archetypal heavyweight champion, given no. his size. Yeah. Um, but he's just another one of those guys like Benoit, Daniel Bryan, even Shawn Michaels, um, that kind of broke the mould a little bit. But yeah. Uh, okay. Awesome. Okay, so number one picks. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion that we might have picked the same person, especially yeah. given the the um, the lists we've just went down. Uh, and all the different people, and thankfully you've you've told me that it's not savage, because that that may have been one of your picks. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna hazard a wild guess that we've both picked the man with the most number of reigns as yeah. Intercontinental Champion. Yes, the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller. Yep. I was going to just sit and go through all these different nicknames, but we've not got enough time. <laughs> uh, Chris Jericho. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, he, he wasn't actually the first guy I took note of when we'd said we were going to do this. But the more I looked into it and the more I, you know, fond memories of Attitude and Beyond Attitude era and things like that, I think the... The more I looked at it, the more he became the the standout. And, you know, the, you, you can see the most title reigns, uh, nine championship, nine intercontinental championship runs, which is amazing. And he always had a storyline. 
and he always had great matches. Mm. He always had charisma. He, um, I think, to be honest, had to prove it. You know, going into WWF, I think he had the you know the the hot intro with the Rock, uh, interrupting the Rock, the countdown clock, all that awesome stuff. And then he did fade a little bit, and I think he he kind of was able to build himself back up mm-hmm. using the Intercontinental Championship. Yep. And he's also a guy who. He, he got to world title level, but it never really felt like his career was on a downturn because he went back to intercontinental level. It, it, it always felt like he was in some sort of important angle. And I feel like the the title can elevate the guy, but it can also go the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and at times, you know, I'll, we can talk a little bit about the runs and the, 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 the years that he's had the belts. I think he, at times, was bigger than the belt, um, and he maybe made it seem more prominent again because it's, it's not a title that always feels as important as it did when we were kids. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um, and this is a a more general thing about Jericho, um, but it's not the same guy that's held the belt all those different nine times. Yeah, um, it's a different character every time. Um, and that thing that you were saying there about him getting himself over, kind of regardless, um, harks back to his time at WCW when basically, uh, I don't remember where I've read this or heard this, but they they basically didn't have anything for him, so he just went out and started doing things himself and getting himself over. I think this was round about when he was in the kind of cruiserweight um, division and he um, he started listing all the various holds that he could put on people, yeah. um, and right. that was that was all him himself. And yeah. he he was asking for for stuff, and they didn't have anything for him, so he just did that. Um, but that's obviously you know like that's that's um, before his Intercontinental Championship days. But yeah. um, like even if you were to put aside the character, um, the matches that he's had. Uh, whilst either competing for or holding this belt are just amazing. Yeah. Um, and and like I said, that's that's putting aside his character. He, he could be the, he could be a terrible worker, and he would probably still be on this list, um, because of his ability to on the microphone and and with yeah. different people. Um, and I, I said about Guerrero and his his work with China kind of puts me off, but um, with Jericho, I've, I've heard it say that he kind of took it as a challenge to get her over yeah um, and yeah I mean pretty much everything you've just said the, the, he's created so many characters even when you look through his intercontinental runs like you said it's not the same guy winning it time and time again it's a different character mm-hmm. so, so many times but one of the things I was looking at this, I think maybe when we do these you think of who your your most fun guy is to actually research, and that tells you something. <laughs> because true. You're, you're enjoying all these matches, and you find so many that you could actually watch through. Um, and you know, we we talk about the, some of the guys he worked with in in these runs, and you know, Benoit, Kurt Angle. Um, you know, he, he made it work with China. It's not you know, I'm sure the the position or the opponent that he would have wanted, but. Um, so much with with Benoit that worked so well, and then 
uh, even in the, the sort of later times, he's got matches with good workers like Christian and Rey Mysterio and people like that, where it, it, it just great quality matches. Yeah, and always seeking to get someone over, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, and when, like, you know, you're running down the list there and you're going through the years um, from from Angle and Benoit around about 2000, um, RVD, 2002 kind of era, yeah. forward a couple of years, Christian, forward four more years, Kofi Kingston, yeah. uh, Rey Mysterio, like, he's, he's working with different guys, younger guys, yeah. um, and getting them over and selling and... Yeah, it's very. He's certainly not one of the guys that you you feel is going into business for himself or anything like that. No. Um, and and I think the last time he held it was around about that two thousand and nine time. Yeah. Um, and just in isolation, that that's about nine years. I think he's been involved in the kind of IC picture there. Yeah. Um, in isolation, is. that's a, an amazing career. Like, yeah. Uh, and you know you. you you sort of reference what he did before uh, coming to WWE, and there was there was a Eric Bischoff podcast I was listening to, and he's not you know the easiest to, to listen to. He comes across as a bit bitter at times, and maybe trying to take uh, the the praise for everything mm-hmm. uh, that went right. Um, but he was talking about Jericho, and he was saying he he actually said I would love to sit and be able to take credit for anything he did but I can't because it all came from him it was all his ideas and he was trying anything trying everything mm-hmm. to, to get a you know a, a prominent storyline of some kind but it never came across that he cared is the wrong word it never came across that he was overly invested in who won he just wanted a proper story mm-hmm. and, you know a, and that comes across as well when he's landed in WWF and he's got, you know, all these brilliant opponents to match up against, there's these excellent stories that are going on throughout all of them. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm sure we would speak about was the, the, the WrestleMania three-way match between him, uh, Angle and Benoit. Yeah. And there's two titles on the line. It's quite unique. I, I don't ever remember seen anything like that before and you know the, the story arc of it is Angle is the what do they call it the Eurocontinental Euro yep. brilliant um, and he ends up losing both belts but he doesn't <laughs> actually lose either of them because Benoit and Jericho beat each other beat each other um, that's right And but it's a great what, story it's, it's brilliant and it's when you think about it it's so simple mm-hmm. you know it's, they're not having to go overly gimmicky with it Um You've got it's one not, guy. It's, sorry, it's not oversold either. If yes. that was done now, Michael Cole would be screaming uh, about it. Yeah, and one thing that I noticed, and you know, he's had so many matches with Benoit. Um, they're they're just littered throughout the the research it was doing. I didn't realize. I probably suspected from the Benoit side. I didn't realize how hard hitting those are until I was watching it. Yeah, like they are. You know, they're not too worried about getting a black eye in that match, you know, they are properly swinging um, and making it look as real as they possibly can. But I suppose, you know, a good worker isn't too worried about getting a black eye, he's worried about getting a, you know, back injury or a knee injury or something like that. Um, but yeah, they're, they are hard-hitting matches. And I, I think 
that that was just the way they meshed together, the yeah. two of them. Yeah, I think Benoit went like that, generally. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting you say that because I felt the same. He had a ladder match against Christian Unforgiven 2004, yeah. Um, yeah. which was a really fun match to watch, but I thought some of the stuff in this is is brutal. Yeah. I was cringing at a lot of it. Um, there's a spot where Jericho's climbing up and Christian just uh, whips the ladder away and even I think JR's like he's talking about his lower back and all that. it just looked brutal mm-hmm. um, and there's a that going back to what you're saying there about Benoit there's a match at the Rumble 2001 and yeah. that's another ladder match um, and I felt that that was comparable it's, it's kind of like the next step from those matches the, the that we talked about earlier Michael's and Razor Ramon match yeah um, they're like, you know, like if you were picking out the best versions of something and the evolution of something, mm-hmm. um, that would be a really good way of presenting it. Yeah, I, I wrote in my notes, Royal Rumble 2001, Jericho v Benoit ladder match is a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's kind of, I suppose, a bridge to how you get from the previous ladder matches to what they ended up doing with the tag teams. Um, but again, it, it the, the biggest thing... It felt like, or it looked like, from from the matches and the research, they pretty much feuded for a year, Benoit and Jericho. Yeah. Um, and they must have had, you know, six or seven uh, pay-per-view matches within a 12-month period against each other in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. But it never felt stale. It never felt like you were seeing the same match twice. Totally. Which just seems amazing when it's that many times in that short a period of time. Um, they kind of feel like the highlight of... They're like that kind of midpoint of a pay-per-view, but they're the highlight of the pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're unlikely to get a better match. Um, and, you know, you, you might see a bigger star. Um, you might see, uh, a, I don't know, a, a cooler um, intro or something like that, but you're you're not going to see a better match, um, which, yeah, just admirable. And the the... the you know, you touch on all the way through his career and you touched on it with his belts, the, the sort of, the reinvention mm. um, of the character as well um, because he could be the hard-hitting guy that you saw in all those matches but he could also be a, a, a bit of a comedy character mm. um, and, yeah, just... Uh, and even though he was, what, the first ever undisputed heavyweight champion, uh, I, I still think of him as the guy that had all those matches you know, with your Benoit's, with your angles, um, and and just tore the house down with them. Absolutely. And something about probably getting beyond Intercontinental Championship chat here, but, uh, you know, like, um, something about Jericho's is, you know, his, his, um, his moveset doesn't contain, like, a swanton bomb mm-hmm. or a, anything really wild. But everything is is kind of a throwback. Um, him and Benoit and Angle, uh, throwback to putting on good technical, interesting, fun to watch matches. Yeah. Um, without needing to go th- even even in a ladder match, um, I don't find that the ladder matches are littered with oh my god ridiculous mm-hmm. spots. They're they're uh, quite logical things that they're doing. Yeah, I think that's that's the key. That's that's the word, uh, logical. Because if you are watching something and you put yourself in the shoes of the guys that are in there, 
and you're thinking, how would I go about that is my objective. How would I go about it? Whereas, you know, don't get me wrong, there's a hell of a lot of ladder matches out there that I, I love that are more spot fests. Mm-hmm. But everything felt like it had a reason behind it. You know, what, why would you do this? Why would you do that? Whereas in some of those other matches, you know, somebody's fallen off the top of the ladder and we're, other than maybe eliminating somebody from the match, where's it going? You mm-hmm. know, somebody... Some of the Jeff Hardy craziness that you saw over the years, brilliant for you know the 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 visual in that second. But within the context of the story, I just felt like everything that we saw from these guys was logical. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're we're starting to sound like Jr. a, bit, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what we were aiming for. <laughs> in any any sort of context, <laughs> <laughs> but no, and I think um, as much as. As as that is true of Jericho, I think that parallels with Benoit as well. A lot of this stuff, yeah. maybe maybe even more so. Um, everything that he did in the ring had a, had logic to it, and he was doing it for a reason, and not doing it as a ridiculous spot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, do you, do you think do you think Jericho gets the credit that we are giving him here? Do you think he's underrated? Mm. I I think I think he probably is. Um, I mean, if we get to the stage of talking about you know greatest ever, and we look at trying to take every factor into account, you know, um, in ring ability, mic skills, natural charisma, um, the the thing that's always going to leap out about him is the evolution of character, mm-hmm. which which allows the the longevity. Because, you know, he went through a, a stage of disappearing and reappearing for a while, um, which I think kept the character fresh, but he never came back as the same character. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a bit like Albert. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he, he's probably, you know, in, in industry, probably really highly regarded and respected. I think, you know, he's always going to be considered below... You, you know when people say my Mount Rushmore of mm-hmm. wrestling is? Yeah. I, I, I don't think you, you really hear about him being on there. Um, but if you compare him to, um, well, most people other than The Undertaker, he's probably had more, uh, been at the top for a longer period of time than just about anyone else. Yeah. And he's been about as well, so he's been... Yeah. In WCW, he's been in ECW, he's been in Japan. Um, it's not just like he's had a well, not to say that there's anything good or bad about it, but he's had it's probably helped for uh, helped him to to reinvent his character. Yeah. Um, I think Undertaker is a perfect example of somebody that gets praised for reinventing his character, um, which is probably. Maybe not actually that merited, yeah, <laughs> but maybe um, done it three times or something like uh, that. Yeah. Whereas Jericho, Jericho's you know like he's he's Chris Jericho every time, but he's not the same guy. He's yeah. not the same character, and he's he's so good at playing heel. But he's great at playing heel, but he's good at face as well. Yeah. Um. And just yeah, I think I think a conversation on uh, greatest all time. Um, is worth having when you get into the various, you know, like what's what's the criteria of of greatest all time? 
Yeah. Um, I think that might be a good one to have soon. <laughs> yep, yep, I would agree. It's, it's so difficult, but worth, very worth doing. Absolutely. It, yeah, I, I think you, you probably naturally play it more into when you watched as well. Because of course. You know, I, I would never do a greatest of all time and put Bruno Sammartino in it because I, I didn't watch him. Sacrilege. Uh, um, whereas, uh, I mean, it, it, you, you sort of naturally think of Hulk Hogan, you naturally think of um, people like Stone Cold and uh, Ric Flair, The Rock, Undertaker, you know, th those are kind of the names that go into the mix for me. Mm. Um, but then that's... Um, would I have to consider the the whole John Cena situation as well because you know he's uh, he's been around so long and basically done everything as well. So God. it's 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 really it's a bit of a minefield. <laughs> it is, and I think I think if you are talking about it, you kind of, you kind of need criteria mm -hmm. um, to 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 kind of level level the playing field sort of thing and yeah. Um, like longevity, for example, like you you said, I think you said the Rock there, the the mm. Rock had a relative has has had a relatively short wrestling yeah. career, yeah, um, which is is actually quite surprising, because when you're watching it, especially at that time at that attitude, era time and the ruthless aggression era time, it feels like a long time, especially when you're watching program every single, yeah, every single week, twice a week. Um, but yeah, he had a short career, uh, and and do you take that into account or not? It's difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we definitely need to map out some criteria for that one. Excellent. Next episode? Can do, yeah. Sounds good to me. Excellent. Right, so we do a, a wee recap of our lists then. Hit me with your, who your top five were. Yeah, so uh, my number five was Edge. Um, oh, wait a second. I've just lost my list. You just lost your list. <laughs> Unintentional, but quite funny, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I had Edge at five, uh, Mr. Perfect at four, Shawn Michaels at three, Bret Hart at two, and Chris Jericho at number one. Nice. And I had Shawn Michaels at five, Bret Hart at four, Mr. Perfect at three, Razor Ramon two, and Chris Jericho at number one. Yeah, so quite a lot of similarities. Did we have four that were the same? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And surprising, really. We're the same age. And yeah, I, th I yeah. think we always knew, but I, I do wonder if that could be quite different when we talk uh, greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Should we just, we could just call it now and just say Christian number one. And I need I need us at some point to do a list he can be on. <laughs> he's, he is one of my all-time favourites. Best of our TNA champions. How about that? Mm, maybe no way. Maybe no. Run <laughs> killings. Nah. Uh, no, we'll get him in there somewhere. We'll be doing tag teams at some point. We so. could do best ever the Marty Gennetti of the tag team. I quite like that. That's what's maybe one to just... Uh, bear in mind for future. Ironically, Marty Gennetti would probably struggle to make that list. <laughs> oh, I hope he's not listed. <laughs> He'll be straight on to that Facebook. <laughs> his rants. Uh, well, thanks very much for that. I enjoyed that. It was great. Um, yeah, it was no good, good fun doing the, the research on that one. Yeah. 
Um, Definitely. We'll come back for episode four for our... Sounds like we're doing top five goats. Um, yeah. Which is always a weird concept, because surely if someone's the greatest of all time, then there's no five of them, but... Um, yeah. There's eras to think about. Yeah, a lot to think about. There is. That's going to be a lot of firing up the network over Christmas. Definitely. Um, but yeah, have a good Christmas when it comes, and uh, see you for you episode four. You too, thank you very much. Cool.